Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo Paddling Hug a Catholic priest on a mission to bring all people of different backgrounds together to learn, to love, accept, and to listen to each other even if we disagree. We've got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God is asking us to do with each other. And this isn't going to be about the deep technical minutia of our Catholic faith, but rather how to make it more real and practical in our own life simply by listening. And what we're going to do in this show is we're going to listen to Sam Rocha, a Catholic philosopher teaching at the University of British Columbia and an outspoken social critic on Twitter and other online publications. In fact, that's kind of how we met. He basically said that I so hate and division. So this is going to be interesting. And just as a caveat, this is actually my redo of the interview because of user error, the first interview just isn't getting published. Sorry about that. But you know what? He graciously accepted to redo the interview as best as we possibly could. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. Even if we're going to disagree, we're going to try to learn how to become bridge builders and peacemakers. And so if you enjoy this conversation in our podcast, please make sure to share it, like it, spread it around, and support us just by going to platinggrace.com, click on donate, or better yet, become a part of the academy where there, with a small monthly donation, you get access to amazing perks and premium content. But for now, we hope you enjoy this deep dish discussion as I shoot the shiitake with Sam Roca. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, for a deep dish discussion with Sam Roca. I have already explained out of his kindness, he's doing a redo because of user error. That's basically me. I will admit I'm not good with technology. And I think ultimately this is God's way of saying that uh, humility is where everybody needs to begin when it comes to a conversation like this. And so let's just kind of go back to how it all started, Sam, but welcome back to the show. Sure. Thank you for having me again. All right. Happy to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for taking the time once again. So at one point, uh, we have never met. The only time we have met was via this interview a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. The first experience that I had of Sam was on social media, which I joke around and say it's neither social nor is it much media. But uh, I was invited to a shrine in Wisconsin, and they posted a tweet and said, we're very excited to have Father Leo join us at Champion Shrine. And there were some people who were happy, some people liked it, some people like yourself had some critical things to say, and yours was, what terrible, embarrassing thing to be proud of 
he has sown hatred and division. So on that note, hello, Sam. Welcome back to the show. Yeah. Uh, w- maybe you can explain what your thought was when you offered that tweet, and then we can kind of discuss a little bit about what hatred, division, and sowing that looks like. Sure. I mean, um, I think in the, in the last show, in some in some ways, we got a little bit um, uh, cornered into kind of a, a, a retrospective on the past. Um, what I meant then, I would I would be willing to extend that to the contemporary, just so that the the listener or or perhaps you don't feel as if it's only constrained to the moment in which I tweeted it. Um, but my sense is that, uh, in particular, your Twitter feed. I don't know um, about your other work, so I don't want to hear uh, cast dispersion on anything anything other than what I'm able to see, which is your Twitter feed. Um, that um, yeah, it often engages in in. Uh, uh, tweets that I would claim uh, uh, do spread uh, hatred and division, uh, especially on topics and matters that are um, kind of well known to people online related to American politics um, and also current events, things like COVID, uh, things like the the previous election, uh, things like the um, uh, questions of this last summer related to race and whatnot. Uh, at the time, I was specifically, as you already know, uh, referring to some of the commentary you provided on George Floyd. Um, but I would say that this is a continuous critique I would continue to make up to the present. Yeah. Okay. So let's get a, just a working definition of what exactly is hatred, what exactly is division. Okay. Um, this is interesting. So, um, yeah, so I, I suppose, are you asking for like the meaning of hatred, the meaning of division, whenever I'm using it in my in my tweet? What yeah, I mean? may, maybe, because I think yeah. a lot of people use those terms quite generically. I mean, you could say, I hate this. or mm. So it's kind of important to know that because when I read it from my personal experience, mm-hmm. you know, as a public person, I know that there's always going to be criticisms of me. That's sure. not a problem. Uh, because people are entitled to their opinions. But it is interesting when people find, and I don't know if this is the case in your situation, hmm. but whenever I post something that is disagreeable or challenging right, right, right. narrative, they'll automatically cast an aspersion and say, that's hatred, that's division. I understand. Yeah, I thank you. Um, yeah, I can, I can see how uh, rhetorically some people will deploy language like hatred and division whenever what they really mean to say is something more like, I don't agree with you, or you said something that I don't like. Um, in this case, however, um, uh, if, I, if I were, by the way, to, to, to accept that, I actually feel it would be me shirking responsibility for what I said. Uh, so no, I take responsibility for what I said, and whenever I use the terms that I use, uh, hate and division, um, I guess there would be two uh, themes that I would use as kind of criteria to judge what hatred and division would mean. Uh, the first would be a criterion of the truth. So I think uh, in many cases, uh, the things that uh, that you tweet regarding um, uh, especially current events in politics and some of the stuff on Newsmax and stuff like that is actually contrary to what I consider to be true. And I don't mean this in a, in a sense, in a, in a subjective or relativist sense of how, what I think the truth is. But uh, it, it, it seems to me to go contrary to the things that I uh, know to be the case. Um, 
The second criterion I would use for this, though, is uh, a little bit softer than <laughs> my hard, harsh truth criterion. And it would be the, the, the I guess, the emotional tone of one's rhetoric. Um, now, you could justly accuse me of the same. So a, an accusatory tweet to someone I don't know, you could call in this in this particular sense, hateful. If it if it was both uh, the emotional tone was 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 angry uh, in some sense, and it happened to, to be false, then I think in this case, I'd fall into a sort of pit of hypocrisy. I'm willing to defend the, that I that I don't. But I think in this case, a lot of the tweets have a, a tone of anger, a tone of discontent, uh, a tone of uh, feeling aggrieved or victimized in some cases. Uh, and I think whenever you collect that alongside the questions of, of truth and whether the claims being made are true or whether they're false, I think that would contribute to at least with these two basic criteria that I've kind of just sketched out here sure. um, as, as things that are, that are, that is so hatred and division. Sure. I mean, I appreciate that because there, there has to be criteria for discerning whether or not something is truthful and whether something is divisive. And so there's gotta be some objective reality for that. That's right, yeah. And, and in my mind, anyone who, who, who um, either knowingly or, or in some cases unknowingly uh, spreads falsehood or things that are contrary to the truth, they are sort of necessarily divisive and are going to lead to the kinds of social um, uh, uh, phenomena we would see as hate. So that's like, so that first criteria I think is actually quite strong. I wanted to add the emotional part though, because I think the way we deliver and communicate is, is also uh, a part of that as well. And we have to take, you know, both of oh, those in mind. That is very much a fact. People experience us in a whole bunch of different ways from my show. They think they know me from a half an hour TV show once a week. And Same here. Yeah. Who I am. Yeah. I, sure. I've always been uh, a person who doesn't shy away from debate. But from the point of view of just hatred and division, when, when I saw that and kind of and reflected on it, I'll take it to prayer. I kind of always see myself as King David, not as a king, but when King David was encountering a man throwing rocks, his name was Shumei, just throwing rocks and saying, You're a horrible person. You're a rapist. You're a killer. Uh, some of his followers said, do you want me to lop off this guy's head? And mm. uh, David said, no, maybe God put him in place to teach me something. So this is the approach that I want to take. What am I supposed to learn from this experience? Because when you say hatred and division, I think of the devil. I mean, I honestly think that that's the work of the devil. Mm. Do you think that I'm doing the work of the devil on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Could you explain to me, um, so like, for, for instance, if we get into sort of just the, the um, uh, a question of, of moral uh, consideration here, um, there are degrees of sin, for instance. Right? Sure. So uh, Catholics, we famously have a uh, distinction between venial and mortal sin, right? Um, and even whenever we make uh, prudential judgments uh, uh, on, on matters of grave uh, moral concerns. So we could sure. say sort of within within <laughs> mortal sins, we, we, we still have the ability to make distinctions here. So um, I always find it sort of difficult, and maybe this is just because I'm not a theologian or, or a clergyman, but I, I don't always know exactly um, where the demonic or the diabolical um, enters in. Because on the one hand, you could say something like, um, all sin is in some sense uh, uh, 
insofar as it participates to any amount in evil, it's privative of a good, and in that sense, sure. it's demonic. On the other hand, you could say, well, we should really save the demonic and the diabolical for moments of, of extreme cases or whatever. So I'm not sure what you're trying to say exactly whenever you're asking me if I think you're a, a <laughs> demon or something. Well, I, it seems very bizarre to me, to be honest. Well, it's not. I mean, someone who sows hatred and division, uh, you know, even Christ will oh, say. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, it's like someone mm -hmm. who sows it is really doing the work of the evil one, which I don't think I am. And I think that's where we can, I don't want to use the, this overly simplistic phrase, agree to disagree. I kind of find that a little lazy, actually. I do too, actually. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we agree on something. This yeah. is a good thing. So let's talk about where your formation of thoughts of hatred, division, your perspective comes from. You know, in the previous conversation, which unfortunately, again, I will mea culpa that. All right. Uh, That's good. You, you mentioned to the effect of, of, of our perspective, our personal hermeneutics. Where did we come from to kind of create and formulate our opinions? Mm -hmm. These days, these days, it's very, it's very polarized from one side to the other, you know, either a left or a right. I don't know how to justify all of these with you, but how would you describe your point of view as being able to critically look at my point of view and therefore say that that's wrong, that's my, factually, objectively incorrect and not truthful? Okay, um, sure. I, I think um, so. I'm not. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to move on to this, and I just want to note that, like, it's not. It's still not clear to me um, the whole demons and devil thing. I think I understood that you meant that, like, if you're if you're spread if you're sowing hatred and division, you're not doing the work of oh, Christ. Yeah. You're doing the work of Satan. Um, and I suppose that, like, yeah, if I wanted to sort of charge up the rhetoric, I guess I could talk about it that way, but we would still have to be able to rationally then make moral sense of what that means, right? And so, yeah, so I, you're I'm not opposed not accusing me of being someone who is doing the work of the devil. You just Well, there's a difference between being literally a Satanist who is conducting rituals mm. that are satanic and, and, and of that sort, and on the other hand, um, uh, uh, participating in a particular kind of, of sin that leads to evil. Like these are different things, right? And so uh, I think there's a, a, a rhetorical tendency to try and make out your critic uh, critique to be so extreme that it seems unrealistic so that then the person who's not sympathetic to it can dismiss it out of hand. Uh, that's, that's for me, it would be a bit of a false flag here. Um, but to, to your question about like, how do I identify or see myself? Cause I do think that's where the, the, the meat of this is, is, um, I mean, I think here we, we can agree. I see you're wearing a Roman, your Roman collar. So, I mean, yep. I, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic. I was uh, uh, born into uh, uh, the church. I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, I was raised in a, in a lay Catholic missionary family. Um, my dad, can you explain uh, to people what that means? I don't think sure. People sure. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, it's as you can tell, it rolls off the tongue now, but it's not obvious in, sure, sure. in all cases. Um, so uh, we my, my dad was an evangelist um, uh, and, and he just retired from the last parish appointment he had. Um, but we lived um, under a, a, a family covenant of of basically being missionaries. But we were it was very much influenced by the idea of the um, uh, evangelizing the baptized evangelium annunciati and like this kind of evangelization mission uh, of the 80s and 90s I think in particular um, and so we weren't missionaries um, 
abroad. We were missionaries at home sure. uh, in the United States and also for a while in, in Mexico. But obviously my father um, and, and our family, um, we, we are all lay Catholics. We weren't ordained or members sure. of a religious community. So a lay uh, Catholic missionary family just means to distinguish us from clergy or religious, uh, professed clergy and religious. And, uh, and, and But also to show that we were living in full-time active uh, uh, church ministry my whole life, uh, my, my whole formative life till I was about 18. Okay. And then I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville as uh, many people in our um, uh, kind of the charismatic renewal movement uh, communities uh, went. Also a lot of work with Couples for Christ and other, other kind of apostolates like that. Um, and I studied there for four years. I majored in philosophy and Spanish literature. I was in the honors program. Um, and, and then I went and got married and, and was a teacher for a, a little while. And uh, during that time, I, I continued my graduate studies, which eventually found my way into an academic field called philosophy of education, which is what I do now here in uh, Vancouver, BC. I teach at the University of British Columbia. I'm a philosopher there uh, in the faculty of education. Um, I, I know you asked me, like, how do I come to things? To me, this matters more than, than, than the question of politically how I come to these things. Absolutely. Because my intellectual formation, for me at least, uh, ha has always been something like the compass or the North Star that I use to make judgments in both the public square and the arena of politics, and, and also to the best of my ability, uh, which isn't necessarily always much in, in the moral domain uh, of, of my faith and, and my family's um, uh, formation as a family here. So, you know, politically, you might be surprised. I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh on the EIB network every afternoon uh, from Reynosa, Mexico, where, where we lived at the mm -hmm. time. Dr. Sure. Laura Schlesinger, um, Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family. Um, I was definitely, uh, uh, my, I came to political, like into political consciousness uh, and the impeachment hearings of Bill Clinton. Like that was for me the, the sort of uh, my political awakening. How, how old were you then? Um, I was a kid. I was a kid. I was. I was in. I was in sixth grade. Oh my um, gosh! You were. You were hearing the impeachment. Prior. Well, I was hearing. I was hearing the reports from Ken Starr's report on on Rush Limbaugh mainly. I was. Okay. I was. You know. I was getting the play by play from 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 Rush I, and the, and and so it wasn't like I was. Uh, doing no, my surprise. No, my surprise is just that at sixth grade, I was playing with GI Joes. I was not in. Yeah anything political like that so this is interesting yeah no i i got i um you know i lived in mexico as a mexican-american it's, it's a weird cultural thing right because i was i had a u.s passport going to public school in mexico my spanish was perfect my skin was as brown as the next one but i wasn't mexican but you know, and 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 at home, I think I really clung to English media because I spoke Spanish outside of the house all day, and so our kind of home life had English at the center. So listening to to English radio was cool, um, and 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 the EIB network was one of the only uh, radio stations that made it across the border, kind of un uninterfered, and so we okay. could listen to that. Um, and so it uh, sounds pretty traditional. It sounds, for lack of a better term, conservative. 
Oh, totally conservative. Are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, I, I we were co- members of a, of a charismatic covenant community, uh, the Bread of Life. Some would say one of the most extreme ones uh, founded by Dick Herman. We had a, a rule book called The Cultural Approach to Christianity that would make any trad day look like an absolute secular. Uh, I mean, like, you know, we had dress codes and the whole nine yards. You know, they the, the, the way I see right now these rad trads is they, they have it easy compared to what I grew up with. So rad um, trads is another term money people might not fully understand but so someone who kind of aspires to living a pre-vatican II experience especially when it comes to liturgy uh, there's a there's a range there's a range of traditionalists and by the way, in in far Texas, just over the border, there was a uh, a friar uh, um, um, uh, an oratorian, priory uh that had uh that had a charism and still does to this day of tr- the traditional liturgy sure. and so i grew up going to latin liturgy all the time I, I knew the latin mass you know as a kid um father leo there was was instrumental in my dad's uh conversion and evangelism and and, and, and helping his formation so another father leo obviously not me. <laughs> i'm sorry it's father yeah I, I i yeah yeah so, so uh, the only reason i'm saying this though is that like i I experience, I believe, a kind of proto, um, a, a, a sort of a, a pre, a preface to what would become in 2001 at 9-11 and the kind of aftermath of that, a much more uh, clear politicized Catholic conservative culture. I kind of grew up in the, in, the, in the precursor to that, when the moral majority was still mainly evangelicals who hated Catholics, when the uh, the conservative, the compassionate conservatism hadn't quite kind of built itself out of the aftermath of losing two terms to Clinton. Like I was, I was kind of born into politics just before that. And then when I went to Franciscan in 2001, uh, I mean, I was I was in Marion Hall when 9-11 happened, right? Um, I saw the questions of war, of torture, of just uh, of, of 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 capital punishment, of abortion. I saw the, the kind of the messiness of life issues, and we'd had Evangelium Vita since 1995. Correct. And 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 Weigel was was on campus, and and my first person I voted for, you might you'll get a kick out of this maybe, was Alan Keyes. I wrote him in. I was opposed to the Bush. Uh, to, Bush was too liberal for me. Okay. Um, and I respected Keyes's uh, refusal uh, to to uh, to acquiesce to Bush in the Republican primary in 2000, and uh, and so I voted for him, and I got to meet him at Franciscan. He was on the board. Uh, sure. for, uh, he's also a Catholic, a Black Catholic. Yep. Um, so you know that that was very much um, what I grew up in, what I came up in. Um, I think I can. I think I know the the the, the now what we would call conservative. Uh, Catholic inside uh, uh, position as well as that. I mean, it, it formed me, literally. Sure, and it forms you, and you carry those things with you whether you like it or not. It's just a part of who you are. But now you would probably be not necessarily associating yourselves to what what Rush Limbaugh would ascribe to anymore. There was obviously some sort of reversal that took place. Or a, yeah. I don't want to say reversal. I don't no, wanna... no, no, no. It's fair. Reversal is fine. I'm actually. Um, I don't mind getting. You're right. I want. I want to see some daylight, some distance from that position to now. But the way it happened is probably a good uh, reversal is a good word because you know, a turning, a conversion, a metanoia, right in my life. And and the thing that really changed me the most, and this is why I started off with, in some sense, my academic and intellectual formation, is that I started doing all the homework. 
I started reading the the so-called Western canon from Homer to Herodotus to Thucydides to the tragedians to the uh, you know to, to Plato Aristotle um, and working my way through their tradition and I also became uh, uh, familiar with with certain riffs so at Franciscan for instance John Crosby uh, was a per is still a personalist in a modern philosophical movement the phenomenological movement which was deeply beloved and formative to John Paul II or Wojtyla correct um, and so, so by the way, I, just for the listeners this is a lot of political and philosophical mm-hmm. influences that affect not only not only society but it really affects your personal relationship with Jesus. And at some point, we're going to kind of come to a deeper understanding of what conversion means and what ongoing conversion means. But absolutely. So, so there were some, some thought leaders that you ascribe to that helped you to realize that maybe Rush Limbaugh was, for lack of a better term, wrong in his perspective or not fully aware of all of the dynamics? Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to try and capture an anecdote because I want to be respectful of, of, of our time here. And, sure. uh, and this is an anecdote of a deeply beloved priest, an OFM, which was rare at Franciscans because Franciscan is a third order regular and he was an order of Franciscan minors and one of the sure. older original orders. And so he was a, a rare brown habit when most of the people walking around were in black habits. Um, but um, Father Conrad Harkins. Um, a, a beloved teacher who who just taught me so much and he's one of these people who really kind of woke me up um, he was once approached this is actually after I graduated so this story is a bit idiosyncratic but I think it gets to the point of what you're making he was approached by a group of students um, and asked if he would be the faculty advisor for a uh, Democrats for life a student Democrats for life um, chapter at Franciscan right. and he ref- and he refused Okay. And he refused because he said, I won't be the faculty advisor for Democrats for Life until the 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 Club of College Republicans have to rename itself the um, Republicans for Social Justice. And his point was that, um, and this was a point that he, um, in a much more subtle and long-winded way, instilled in me, was that there was a deep and 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 toxic blindness at the core of the of of american conservative politics which was primarily a blindness um to to the poor and the oppressed and also to the social nature of the person as opposed to the individual nature of the person and uh you know he he mostly got this through to me through reading augustine and a lot of you know scholastics and stuff but nonetheless as i came as i awakened into that that um that vision of reality, that expanded vision. Um, yes, I, I began to see really fatal flaws, not only in, in Limbaugh, but in George Weigel, for instance. I confronted George Weigel once at a talk he was giving on his biography of John Paul II about his very selective treatment of John Paul II's opposition to capitalism, his opposition to capital punishment, his app, you know. And uh, and Weigel got very upset with me. I remember C-SPAN was recording and they- Michael. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, George Weigel. George. Oh, George, George Weigel. Weigel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and can, what I started to ask you this. Yeah, though, go for uh, it. I'm yeah. sorry. The the idea of politics and religion and they mm-hmm. kind of mix. Should it and how should it mix? If you think it should. Um. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a great general question. I, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to keep it as general as possible because yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. Do is for people who are listening, there are going to be people who have started off quote unquote more liberal minded read mm-hmm. similar books and have come to a more uh, Rush Limbaugh approach to how they mm-hmm. want to practice their religion. 
in politics. And in your case, it was something very opposite. So where do we meet? How do we mix this together so that when it comes to things that are disagreeable, it's not just because we disagree that it's hate, but that we can come to some objective truth. But I think to, truth always has two sides to it, you know. It, it's no, like, I don't actually don't think that's true. I think actually truth is one-sided. Um, well, for, I mean, it's how we grasp it, how we're going to understand truth. Mm, it's one coin and there's two sides to it. It's just called a perspective. I mean, that's a metaphor, but I wouldn't accept it. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm really a fundamentalist about truth. I believe there is a single essential eternal uh, uh, truth and, and corresponding realities that emerge from that truth. Um, and so this is where for me, Rush Limbaugh, and, and, and forgive the um, uh, the analogy, it just has come to mind. I actually believe that what Rush Limbaugh was doing in the 90s was spreading hate and division. Uh, and, and so, and setting the agenda, you might say, for an entire uh, movement that we saw evolve uh, with a lot of people pushing back at different points. Like, for instance, I could say a lot more uh, interesting, maybe, things about George Bush and, for instance, his standing down his party on immigration because he, I think he understood it better sure. as a border uh, governor than, than others did. And so this doesn't mean that I can't add nuance to it. But the evolution from that 90s um, rhetoric that was spread over the airways um, through the EIB network into, let's fast forward to the Tea Party, into the phenomenon of Trump. I end, I did a satirical endorsement of Trump in 2011 after uh, um, Newt Gingrich uh, uh, dropped out of the primary race. Uh, it was meant as a joke, but I never could have imagined that, of course, what we saw in 2015, 16, and its aftermath all the way up until the recent election and and, and the things we've seen. I think that what Rush was doing was that he was basically uh, spreading, uh, uh, sowing hatred and division, and we're now seeing some of that crop uh, rise up. And I think a lot of the uh, rhetoric that you engage in on your on your Twitter feed, at least, and this isn't saying anything about everything else. I don't know how politics get it's in the food. I know you asked me about religion, but I'm not there yet. But is 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 the fruits of Rush Limbaugh's uh, agenda and, and the fruits of, of that 90s uh, coalition. And in particular, it's tragic for me because it's a it's a kind of coalition that didn't have to happen. Catholics in this country didn't have to align themselves culturally with the evangelicals uh, uh, and 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 I, there's are some good reasons perhaps for why that happened but you know there there has there are alternatives and that's what I learned at Franciscan and that's what I've learned throughout my life is there's people like Herbert McCabe there's people like Helder Camara there's people like like Julius Nerere there's a lot of people out there who who hold an explicitly leftist um, approach to politics um, and uh, who are Every bit is Catholic, uh, every bit is religious, and in some cases know the sources uh, better than those who are claiming uh, to speak from the tradition or, or, you know, like traditionalists and stuff like that. For me, a traditionalist is basically someone who doesn't understand tradition very well, because a lot of them reject Vatican too. How can you do that, right? Um, but the point about religion and politics you asked, which I think is really important, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not dodging it, I'm just, it's hard, because my impulse is to say, if you believe that you can have religion without being a part of a society, then that's not the Catholic religion. I mean, Catholicism has 
for for two millennia now, uh, not only proclaimed a, a personal and individual message uh, of the love of God through through the person of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, but it is it has also given us a vision of the good life and of human flourishing and and of what the common good means and can do and has spoken out against offenses to that. So to me, politics and religion are not really. Um, they're, they're not opposed. For me, politics isn't a dirty word. It's a beautiful word. Absolutely. It's what we're doing here. It's discourse, right? It's 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 uh, it's that. So I don't know. I, I kind of, it was a bit of a grab bag response, but uh, no, you've been very right. patient. That, no, listen, that's the yeah. whole point of this show is to listen to people who would have opposing views and mm-hmm. more importantly, to try to figure out where a person is coming from. But sure. I will say, you know, before we kind of bring it to a close, I will have one more question. Fair enough. It's, it's I think the, the language of demonizing, and I'm not using that in terms of a spiritual or moral sense, but it almost seems like the act of if someone disagrees generically, people will automatically try to cancel or try to impugn something morally or at least behaviorally negative. They'll just say that person is blankety blank, 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 and kind of dismiss it outright. I don't think you're trying to do that. I, but I do think that the tweet did. I think it kind of failed because it's just a tweet. It's 140 characters or less. And I engaged you. And so I kind of want to bring us back to the whole point. The whole mm. point of what I try to do is bring people together, even if we disagree with each other. Where do you think we could agree upon? And the final question is, uh, what can I do to help you? So the yeah. two questions are, how can we bring these things together. So first of all, I, I would never say that you're hateful or divisive. I don't follow your tweets. I, I didn't know about you until, until I saw yours. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, again, um, we come together is the first question. Yeah. I, I, I think the sacrament of confession and, and, and in its fullest, uh, sense, but also in the sense that, that, that every ordinary, uh, faithful Catholic practices is Let's a wonderful, <laughs> of course, um, uh, um, I think it's a wonderful staging ground to talk about questions of, of reconciliation, because to reconcile is to come back into counsel, right, to counsel again. Um, it begins with an examination of conscience that you do alone, but you do alone with yourself. You almost other yourself in order to sure. look at yourself. And you ask for God, for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Um, you enter into a confessional, which is a social encounter, because it has to. there has to be a real person on the other side. Um, it begins, of course, with, with the, the way the ritual prescribes. Uh, you have to clearly, and, and, and a good confessor, I think, uh, forces the, uh, the penitent to name their sin, not sure. just talk about it and, you know, um, and then you make a full act of contrition and then absolution comes. But we also know that, that j- while absolution is, is the grace of, of God bestowed in the person of Christ through, through the priest, that there are there is a temporal structure to sin uh, the, the, uh, and, and temporal punishment even uh, that remains not only in, in, the, in the penance that's, that's prescribed, that's a little bit more spiritual, but the fact is that it doesn't sort of change reality on the outside of the confessional. You still have to live within the consequences of, of some of your actions, right? And real reconciliation in the Catholic tradition is an ability to both uh, offer clear 
consider conscientious uh, forms of responsibility, the ability to respond, right, um, for, for what one has, has done, um, and then to enter into reconciliation, to, to, to reconcile, to come back in the council. But it never loses the, the temporal structures of sin or the temporal realities of around it. And so whenever... On, you know, on January 6th, the thing that happened at the Capitol, um, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of political commentary used very kind of moral and religious language. And I have to admit, I kind of struggle on whether, like, uh, is, is the house really the sanctuary of the nation? Or, like, what does that mean, you know? Um, but one thing I thought was important was that there was, there was a kind of, there, there was a reality to, to, of sin that I think was present uh, there. And, and, and I think we can name other places and spaces, but I think that whenever one doesn't, uh, confess in a proper way, one can't expect then on the afterwards for one to simply find a way to come back together. There is no room within a Catholic, uh, uh confessional for, um, coming for, for, for getting rid of the temporal structure. So what I would ask for you in terms of your second question, father is in all humility is, is to, to not ask for this kind of equal treatment. Let's, let's come together, unity, all that kind of rhetoric, but let's face this as, as sort of as Catholics who potentially have real sin to account for, because my claim that I made was, was a claim that there are sinful elements, um, that are operating and that are in some cases from your position as clergy poisoning the faithful, um, at the very least, um, uh, through, through, through the fact that many of them fly in the face of the truth. You have doubted COVID so many times on your Twitter wall. You have sown a lot of doubt into the election, all these things that are objectively not really nearly as, um, subjective as you claim. It almost makes us look as if there's a kind of relativism running, but I know from our last encounter that you're not that. But I would say that what you could do is to try to, um, in a public way, in a political way, uh, not in a sacramental way. I, I have no ability to call upon you. I'm not. Sure. <laughs> I have no jurisdictional authority, right? But in a secular and political way, I would ask for you to first, before asking to let's all come together, to take a look at the real temporal structures of sin that could be operating, and take me in good faith, uh, which I hope I have, um, and I pray that I have, uh, to. Well, I to be calling you, you out show. on that. I, I, well, that's if that that's kind of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So listen, we are coming down to a close. We went a little bit long, so I apologize to our listeners for that. But I want to thank that's my fault. I'm Sam sorry. Roca, kind of. But that's thank all right. You. So uh, Sam Roca for joining me again and doing a redo. I'm going to have him back on and we're going to talk about something very specific in an upcoming episode. We're going to actually talk about racism from different points of views and to try to figure out how we can deal with this sin but more importantly, how we can move from it to just recognizing that people are, are God's people. So when I come back, I'm going to share with you my carryout order. We're going to talk about conversion, social justice, and the prevalence of sin in both the public and the private. And more importantly, how I think I'm supposed to sow goodness and love. But I don't know if that's going to be possible if people are coming at it from different angles. But we'll mm. figure that out but we'll be back with my deep dish discussion in just a moment. Hey 
And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. For my carryout order, I want to thank my special guest, Sam Rocha, and offer him two apologies. I mispronounced his name. It is not Rocha. It is Rocha. And then again, to re-apologize to him and to all of you, because our first conversation, user error, have no idea where that recording went, but he was gracious to accept it. And we were talking about some challenging things, and I'm grateful for it, because I remind my, I, I kind of remember... Uh, King David. And he had a guy, his name is Shimei, and he just basically threw insults at King David nonstop. And uh, some of David's guards said, you want me to go over there and just shut this guy up and kill him? And David said, no, because maybe God sent him to keep me humble, which is why I'm grateful for people who would disagree with me, but also willing to have a normal conversation. And even though I didn't challenge everything that he said, it's not because I agreed with him. It's because I wanted to show him that I am not hateful and I'm not divisive. I want to hear what he has to say and then kind of think about it and reflect and interpret it because I think social media has become a place where certainly it's not media and it's not social. And while he may have a criteria of determining whether or not someone is being hateful or divisive, I'm glad that he didn't impugn a moral culpability because if he did, he would be calling me the devil. And I just know this, the more you demonize a person, the more you don't realize that the demons are actually working inside of you, especially through the sin of pride, because that basically says that you know everything and this other person doesn't. He's intelligent, for sure. Nice guy. I have other conversations. In fact, I'm probably going to do another show with him on racism. So you'll be hearing that eventually. But the idea of knowledge, and that was key to him, this epistemological understanding of knowledge. Uh, and he'll be the first to recognize that there's two forms of knowledge. One is a familiarity. In Italian, it'd be conoscere, conoscere in, in Spanish, and versus sapere or saber, which is a knowledge of fact versus uh, familiarity. Well, both of those work to give people an idea and help formulate opinions so that you could make right decisions. And so when he mentioned that my tweets were just angry, kind of like victimized or upset, well, I don't know if those are the best descriptions, but I will say that, yeah, some of my tweets, I am mad. I am angry. I am annoyed. I am frustrated. And why? Because there's a lot of that stuff in the world. And honestly, I have a right to say it. You might not want to hear it, but I have a right to say it. And if he thinks that I'm misleading people because he thinks that I'm just wrong, well, I think what we'd have to do is just look at what we are familiar with and what we know. The conocer and saber, conoscere, sapere. Because his experiences led him from being very conservative, read a few books, several books, had conversations with people who were more progressive-minded, and now he considers himself liberal. I started off pretty progressive, read the same books, and even a few other different books with 20 years of priesthood experience, and now I'm a little bit more traditional. And what I can't stand is this whole idea of a cancel culture where you want to kind of dismiss someone, you want to tear them down, you want to almost shame them, which I think is his original tweet was intended to do. Remember, it all started because there was an organization, a church in Wisconsin that invited me to do a talk, and, uh, and they were excited to have me. But he just basically said, I would be embarrassed if I were you because Father Leo sows seeds of hate and division. Well, 
you know, again, we, we don't want to rehash this. I'm grateful for him expressing his criteria as to what he thinks hate and divisiveness is. Once again, it's, it's fact, not relativistic perspectives, but actual facts. But facts can be familiar, something I'm familiar with, and it could also be something that I actually know. And we can't discount both those types of knowledge in order to make decisions, including what my social media is going to say. So the beauty of a conversation like this is that hopefully you see that even though there might be some people who don't like you, disagree with you, they might even hate you, you do not have to respond in kind. And I think that even though while some may suggest that my social media, because I love challenging the narrative, and yeah, some of it is so silly and annoying, and you see it all over the place, and people are just flat out lying about stuff, I'm not afraid to actually express my thoughts and opinion. If someone wants to cancel me, let's talk about it. That's not hateful or divisive. That is sowing seeds of goodwill. And I think that that's what we experience today. Conversations that hopefully lead to a turning towards each other. And maybe together we pursue what really is hate and divisive so that we can fight it with every fiber of our lives and be the people God has called us to be. So I want to thank Sam Rocha one more time for his graciousness to appear on the show and also uh, for, you know, his words. Definitely going to take it to heart and definitely hoping that this conversation helped you. And if you want to support our efforts, again, just go to platinggrace.com, click on donate or support, or better yet, be a member of the Academy, where there with a small monthly donation, you get invited to an online community and you receive premium content and special perks. And so make sure you also like and subscribe to this podcast. Let family, friends, and parishioners and pastors know all about it. And more importantly, between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry for God. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.